This morning we're going to be in Isaiah 15. And the last time we talked about, well, two Sundays, really the, the person of Satan, of Lucifer, the fallen angel, um, really know your enemy. Why does God give us insight on the spiritual realm? Because it's important. It's important to know what he does, what he, you know, how he operates, how he can try to confuse us and things like that. And, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, can a, a believer be possessed by a demon? And of course, the answer is no, because 1 John 4, 4 tells us that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And today, well, we're going to look at some prophecies in the next few chapters uh, against the nations that surrounded Israel at the time. And we're going back to between the 8th century B.C., and eventually down to the 7th century B.C. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go into some history. But this morning, the title is Getting Right with God, which is important because, you know, if, you don't, if you're not really familiar with the Bible, you have questions, and, and people have questions, and they hear things, and things are passed on, and um, it's almost like telephone. Well, what, what's really real and what's not? I take it that probably the majority of people who don't know the Lord haven't read Isaiah in its entirety. And I believe that a lot of Christians also haven't read the entire book. So it's important to know what's in there. You know, people have questions. You know, God's going to speak about the uh, nation of Moab uh, and what happened with them and really how he lovingly tried to warn them into this disastrous course that they were going to take. You know, and again, people have these ideas that aren't really true. Um, some look at even, well, but might even be surprised that we're speaking about Moab and how much God loved Moab and all the nations and all the people, right? Well, pastor, isn't it God's chosen people? Well, Israel was God's chosen people for certain things, but God chose to love everyone. And that's why he sent his son into the world to die for our sins, because he loves everyone on the planet. There's no exceptions. And when we know more of the scripture, it really encourages us. There's, there's, there's nobody who's outside of the possibility of salvation and having a relationship with God through Christ. And we're going to look at this in seven parts. So jumping in, in chapter 15, it says the burden or the prophecy or the oracle against Moab. Because in the night, Ar of Moab is laid waste and destroyed. Because in the night, Kir of Moab is laid waste and destroyed. He has gone up to the temple and Dibon to the high places to weep. Moab will wail over Nebo and over Mediba. On all the heads will be baldness and every beard cut off. In their streets they will clothe themselves with sackcloth. On the tops of their houses and in the streets everyone will wail, weeping bitterly. Oh, Pastor Joe, didn't you just tell me that this was kind of going to be encouraging? We're going to get to that. <laughs> so... Sometimes you've got to go through the hard parts before you get to the good parts. Verse 4, Heshbon and Elela will cry out. Their voice shall be heard as far as Jahaz. Therefore, the armed soldiers of Moab will cry out. His life will be burdensome to him. My heart will cry out for Moab. This is the prophet speaking. His fugitives shall flee to Zoar like a three-year-old heifer. For by the ancient or the ascent of Luhith, they will go up with weeping. For in the way of Haronaim, they will raise up a cry of destruction. For the waters of Nimrim will be desolate. For the green grass has withered away. The grass fails, there is nothing green. Therefore, the abundance they have gained and what they have laid up, they will carry away to the brook of the willows. For the cry has gone all around the borders of Moab. It's wailing to Eglium and it's wailing to Beer Elam. For the waters of Dimon will be full of blood. 
because I will bring more upon Dimon, lions upon him who escapes from Moab and on the remnant of the land. So one out of seven is, so this is what's happening. With prophecy, God tells history in advance. Now I'm going to, from 2018, give you some prophecies about something that could happen in 10 years, 20 years. It's our earth's future. And some of you might be incredulous. You might say, no, I can't believe that. But the sad thing is be careful of disregarding what God warns us about because he did it back in the 8th century B.C. and people didn't listen as well. And those that did listen were protected because they, they took God's counsel. But those that didn't suffered the consequences. Remember, God made us free moral agents. Anyone today, when you leave this building, you can do whatever you want. You've gotten free will. But are we going to choose God and his ways, or are we just going to choose the world's ways or our own self-directed ways? And that's really the question. So there's an invasion coming, the Assyrians against Moab. Really, at the end, you'll see it's a, God's giving them a three-year warning to prepare. So nobody should have been caught off guard. Because God gave them plenty, three years is a long time to prepare, and for him to tell you what to do when you prepare. And God tells us in the Gospels what to do about judgment that's coming in the future and how to escape that judgment, to avoid it through Christ as our Savior. Interesting parallels here. 3,000 years, that's why the Bible's called the living word, because no matter where you are in history, the Bible always applies. So check this out. Where is Moab, Pastor Joe? Some of you know, um, some of you don't. Let's look at image uh, number one, the map. And this is really, this is Moab here, right? Um, Ammon, Moab, and Edom. If I got that right. Ammon, Moab, and Edom. As a matter of fact, up here, I believe it's one of the great, it might even be the capital of Jordan called Amman. That word is, over the years, comes from uh, Ammon, right? So you, you see these different areas, or you don't see it here, but you see today what Jordan looks like. This is the country of Jordan. Here's Israel, right? Here's Syria up here. And as we go further east, you have I Iraq and Iran, and you got the Arabian Peninsula down here. So this is very important. It's going to be very important. Here's the Dead Sea, where a lot of tourists go when they go to Israel. Um, and it's, it's on the borderline there. And Petra is this rock city that we're going we're gonna to talk about as well. So that's where Moab is. It's modern-day Jordan. It's very interesting. Just a little history because there's some good history between Israel and the Moabites, and there's also some bad history. So if you go back into the Scripture, the good history is that these nations came from two people, um, Abraham and his nephew Lot. Lot produced the Moabites, and Abraham produced the Jewish people, or Israel. So there's a, there's a connection there. And you know as well as I do, as maybe some of you, that you know, when you have your cousins and you're far removed, sometimes there's like, you know, issues with family. You know what I'm saying? Family dynamics. I see a lot of laughter. Uh, so there was family dynamics here too. Another good part about this is that Ruth was a Moabitess. She was from Moab. She marries Boaz, who is an Israeli, and down the line, they produce David, the king, and all the way down the line, Jesus is in that bloodline. So the Messiah is through this merge between uh, Israel and Moab at some point. Very interesting. And I think that's good because God, I think, does little things here and there to show us that as much as we're divided today by culture and ethnicity and language and nations, God says, listen, you're all my people. 
When you look at Revelation, everybody's together. Every nation, tribe, kindred, tongue. It's going to be one big awesome party with people from all over the world that come together. Right? There's no such thing as ethnic or racial purity in God's kingdom. And that's awesome. A bad, a bad situation was one of the kings of Moab, Balak, tried to get the prophet Balaam to curse Israel. And of course, God wouldn't do that. Right? So there were some evil leaders in both Israel, the, the southern nation of Judah, and also Moab. They were just like these evil leaders everywhere today. You get some good and some bad. And you hope when the next person comes to power that they're a good one. You know, the people hope that. But this is, uh, takes place in Numbers 22 through Numbers 25. And then lastly, and there's so much more to this, but I don't want to belabor the point, another king, Eglon of Moab, oppressed and harassed Israel where she needed a judge uh, to deliver her, a military leader, and this is found in Judges 3. So I'll just go through some bullet points of the, what God says is, this is coming in three years. If you don't take my counsel, this is what everything is going to look like for everyone. But a lot of them did take his counsel. But let's go through just some bullet points quickly. So, number one, the Moabites, some of these cities were going to be taken at night by the Assyrians. So all these Kir and Ar and all these different uh, places were cities in that old uh, nation of Moab. Uh, two, verse two, the Moabites flee to the high places and to some of their pagan temples, but they get no results. Well, they got no results because they knew the true God and they were following false gods. They were following idols, right? So there was no help there. Uh, they were prideful. They didn't want to submit themselves to God. And we see that today. Verses 2 and 3, the Moabites clothed themselves in sackcloth, shaved their heads and their beards, and they weeped and they wailed. They were in distress over this political situation and invasion of their country. Verse 4, the soldiers even know that they're doomed, and their futile or their resistance against the Assyrians is, is, is futile. Again, God is telling a story as if it's, it's happening in front of us, but it hasn't happened yet. That's what prophecy is. Verse 5, Isaiah says, my heart will cry out from Moab. I'm going to come back to that. Uh, also in verse 5, you see the uh, Moabite fugitives. Some of them did flee to Judah, where Jerusalem is, which was smart. Um, but some of them just fled to different cities of Moab, and it didn't help them at all. And he says, like a three-year-old heifer, or a, a vulnerable animal, or an animal that hasn't had a full yoke of a stranger on it yet. Okay, so God uses these metaphors sometimes in the animal kingdom. Verses 6 through 7, that the, the grass withers, the abundance is taken away, and um, refugees end up fleeing from the advancing army. And then lastly, verse 9, is that some of the waterways, and some of these battles are, are fought on the coasts, that some of the waterways will be stained with blood, and, you know, of course it'll bring out the lions because they smell the blood. Just like if there's an attack in, in the waters, um, sharks sense the blood and they all start coming to that area to feed. Uh, you know, there's, these are natural tragedies. Okay, we'll continue in, in chapter 16. It says, send the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah, or the rock, or the rock city of Petra, to the wilderness, to the mount of the daughter of Zion, for it shall be as a wandering bird thrown out of the nest. So shall be the daughters of Moab at the fords of the Arnon. Take counsel, execute judgment, make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day. Hide the outcast, do not betray him who escapes. 
So two out of seven is, is basically God is saying through his prophet, you, you have to get right with God. You have to get right. Again, it's still a choice. Uh, verse one, Moab is instructed to send the lamb where? Well, to Judah or Jerusalem. Now understand, in that old system, especially of the Jews, and if any strangers came into Israel and they're like, well, we want to follow your God too, you had to bring a lamb and you had to sacrifice it um, because of the sin issue. It was an atonement. Now this is really interesting because in a spiritual application, this is a picture of or a type of Jesus Christ. Okay, The Moabites largely had these pagan practices. They would pray to false gods, uh, pretend gods, and uh, you know, nothing would happen good for them. But th- before Christ, through this, this Jewish system or this system in Jerusalem, that was where atonement for sins takes place. Now, on a side note, I, I like to talk to people. I've met people from different religions, um, and I ask them, you know, and I know because I do a lot of reading, but I'll ask them, so how do, you, how do your leaders say or your books say you get to heaven? And they'll throw, that's, that's an easy one for a lot of people. It's a softball. But then I say, but what about the issue of sin? How do, how do you stand before a holy and perfect God who made all this, and you and I are arguably sinners? And then if they say that they're not, I would say, listen, you, you have sinned at some point. Let's go through the different sins. And, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I guess I have. Okay, so that makes you a sinner. So how do you, in your religion, how do you make atonement for your sins to stand before a holy God? And that's where they falter. That's usually where I find a a chink in the armor, so to speak, is where they they can't answer that question. I say, you really need to research that because that's really important. And I I interject good doubt so that they can seek the truth and stop following something because some leader told them or because it was their family system. Okay? So this is a type of Christ. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He's the Lamb of God. You know, John the Baptist said when he saw him coming, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hebrews tells us that he shed his blood once for the remission of all sins. He was the last and final sacrifice. No sacrifices need to be made after Jesus Christ. He offered himself. By the shedding of blood, Leviticus 17, 11 tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. This is very, very important to understand, this contiguity in the Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's very, God put a lot of thought into it. It's legal, it's spiritual, it's, it's, um, it's just a way of redeeming mankind. Now, many uh, in Edom unfortunately took refuge in this place called Selah, or Petra, this city, but they weren't safe. Because at the time, the city was not the way it is today. I'm going to show pictures in a little bit. Um, what God was basically trying to say through the prophet is, come to, to Jerusalem. You know, come there. Send the lamb as a sacrifice. And then we're going to see how he tells the, the, the Israelites, open up your doors. Don't shut the door on them because I'm telling them to come to you. Now, this is interesting because the Assyrians pretty much, was it... Um, they, they invaded Samaria, the walled city. They broke, broke it in. They got into it 724 to 721 B.C., um, 732 B.C. Prior to that, uh, they invaded Damascus, the walled city. They got in. So everybody around thought nobody can stop the Assyrians. However, God annihilated part of the army, and in the 701 B.C. annihilation, um, the, 
the Assyrians under Sennacherib were not able to break down the walls of Jerusalem and get in. God knew this. Nobody else knew this. They all thought we're doomed. Even Hezekiah, the king, he took the threat in, in a scroll that was sent to him by the Assyrians, and he spread it out, and he's, he's praying to God. He's like, Lord, do you see what they're saying about you? And they're going to invade. He was scared too. And God's like, I got it. I got this. I got it covered. So he stopped the invasion, and the Moabites who, have, who would have listened to God would have been safe, just like those in Jerusalem and those from outside who came in to listen to God. And that's pretty neat, and only God could know that. You can't predict the future, right? You look at some of these battles today in the world, you can only guess who's going to win. Sometimes it's an upset. You have no idea. Look at historical battles. Uh, an army the quarter of the size beats an army four times the size. How does it happen? We just don't know. But God knows this before it happens. Okay, verse 2. Uh, another metaphor used for the Moabites fleeing was a wandering bird thrown out of the nest. Uh, my wife and I are animal lovers, and sometimes we see in the spring a, a bird come out of the nest, and we try to, we know that one of our cats is going to try to get it, and you know, you try to care for the, the little bird. The bird doesn't know anything. It's going to be somebody's meal if you don't do something. Uh, so this metaphor to the Moabites, he's trying to tell them, this is what you're going to be like, a, a bird that was thrown out of the nest, too young, too vulnerable. You can't do it on your own. And that's sometimes a hindrance to people coming to God. When I talk to people about the Lord, somebody who's too overconfident, they think, I got this. I don't need God. Weak people are Christians. Now, smart people who know better, who know about the afterlife, who, you know, what better ally to have on your side than the creator of the universe? So, again, it's not just the Moabites, it's today. People think, I don't need God. I'm not weak like those Christians. That's, that's dangerous, actually. Um, so God has given them free will, and uh, you know, he was giving them this chance at protection. And of course, salvation as well. Salvation as well. Verse 3, I'll read this again, 3 and 4. He says, Take counsel, execute judgment, Make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day. Hide the outcast. Do not betray him who escapes. Let my outcast dwell with you, O Moab. You see this flip a little bit. Be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler or the devastator, for the extortioner is at an end. Devastation ceases. The oppressors are consumed out of the land. And again, we've talked about this. Um, when you're going through a trial, you know, if you know the Lord, you know, okay, it's a season. This isn't going to last forever. You know, Lord, I'm just, I'm still praying. I'm still seeking your will. I'm still seeking your counsel. Lord, help me out with this situation. Okay? Um, but three out of seven is the equality principle. God has instructions for Judah, remember, which is the southern kingdom of Israel, that it contained Jerusalem. And he also has instructions for Moab. And these are the two instructions. To Moab, repent. Get right with God. Swallow your pride and take refuge in Jerusalem instead of Moab because that's where the safety is going to be. The Assyrians aren't going to get to that city. Um, and it's a huge city, by the way. They have some models of it today, what it looked like, and there's still part of it standing uh, in the, the Temple Mount area. And, you know, the excavators, every year they're digging something up, and they're like, oh, yeah, what the Bible said was right. I love biblical excavation. It just reinforces everything that we're, we're teaching. Okay, 
Two, so Moab, you got to get right, swallow your pride, and go to this place. Um, to, the, to the people in Judah and Jerusalem, open your doors, open your hearts, take in the refugees, they need you. Now, this is something that, you know, it's a cultural thing. Uh, I meet people from the Middle East all the time. I've had people from the Middle East come over and speak at the church or another church. We've taken them in. I just love having conversations with people from around the world. Even today, Middle Eastern people are very hospitable. They find it an honor to have you at their home. Now, I'm not hating, but I'm just saying our culture is a little bit different. In the Northeast, we like our space. You know what I'm saying? We like our space. Some of us have, I had a friend who had literally, like they have in the movie theaters, these bollards with um, like these felt things. It was like a museum room. What do you do in that room? Well, nobody goes in there. What's the sense in having that room? You know what I'm saying? So, but I tell you what, when you take somebody in, and my wife and I have done it, and a lot of people here have done it, it's such a blessing. You know, you, you, you want to feed them. You want to care for them. You want to help them. It's just a nice feeling because this is how God designed us. So on a, on a national level, God was telling Judah, take these people in. <laughs> Open the doors. You're going to have a lot of people coming in because of this situation. And you know, the church, the church is an organization that should be taking people in too. You know, I've seen situations that um, are a little disturbing. Listen, somebody wants to know God, let them in. Some churches and ministries are very strict, very strict dress codes, membership codes, donation codes, and some could be made to feel uncomfortable. But I love, what I love about our church is it's a community church. Every Sunday we have somebody or a few people that just walk in and they want to check the place out. They're always welcome. You want to know God? This is the place for you. We're not going to make it complicated. As a matter of fact, we're going to make it very simple for you to get to know God. And it's my pleasure and our pleasure to be hospitable as a church and do that for you. You see what I'm saying? So it's, it's, you got to look at that. Now, there's a little bit of a twist in here where, so wait a minute, Judah is taken in the Moabites, but then he says over here, let my outcast dwell with you, O Moab. So wait a minute, now Moab is going to receive the Jewish people. This is what's fascinating. First of all, it's a reflective principle. And, and you know what? If you understand reflection and you understand give and take in a relationship, you'll probably be with the same person for a long time. Because if one person is completely selfish, the, the, the relationship breaks down, even if the other one's trying really hard. So God teaches us a lot of really neat principles, but he's teaching this principle between two nations. Now, what he's talking about here is, because this, this hasn't happened yet, and again, we've talked about this. Wait till we get to Isaiah 61. Jesus is going through prophecy and um, you know, speaking about some things that he's going to do, and then all of a sudden he jettisons us to 2,000 years or more in the future. And you're like, whoa, wh- where's Jesus going with this? You know what I'm saying? So prophecy does that. It takes twists and turns. God sees everything at once, but we live in linear time, so sometimes we have to get used to the learning curve. What happens here is, He's taking us to a future on our planet. We're in 2018. He's taken us to a future which we've covered before about this global leader who's going to come on the scene, um, dominate most of Europe, make war with a lot of the nations, and really raise hell against the Jews. Set himself up into the temple, which is going to be rebuilt, which isn't rebuilt yet, but it will be. 
Um, and they're already making preparations for that. And you see this, Revelation 12.6, Revelation 12.14. The Jewish people are told this Antichrist, and that's just a, more of a character title, that's not his name, he's going to make war on the Jews. And the Jews, actually, let's put that map back up, because that's interesting. If we put the map back up, so here's Jerusalem. Now, you can see it a little bit. If you're further back, maybe you can't. You see this kind of scrunchy area. It's almost like a relief. It's a, a mountainous region. There's a lot of wilderness in this area here. Actually, this, with this little hiker, it was taken from a, like a hiking kind of thing. So basically, the Jewish people in the future will have to leave this area and come further south and end up in Petra, which is a wilderness. Je Jesus says in the Gospels, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, and we covered Daniel, this antichrist figure, when you see him set himself up into the temple, pretty much push everybody away and set himself up as God, this abomination of desolation, Jesus says to those who are in Judea, flee to the mountains. So the Bible warns many times, including Jesus' warnings, this apocalyptic literature, so to speak. Now, if we can look at the, so what is, what is a place going to do today that can protect tens of thousands of people, if not 100,000, to have a place that's so big to take in all those people, also protect them from tanks and, and artillery fire? Put up image number two. And I don't know if you've ever seen this before. That, is, that should put goosebumps on you if you've never seen that before. Look how small the people are. This place exists. Look how incredible that looks. This isn't a, an art, artist drawing. This is in Jordan today. This is the rock city of Petra. Now, when we talk about Petra, it's fascinating. We get into the who are the Idumeans, right? Who are the Idumeans? Edom, Idumea, uh, Herod. Who are the Nabataeans? They were, they were wanderers, but then they coalesced and stayed in one place. They actually built this. This was built over centuries. It's, it was started, and then, you know, because you're, you're digging into rock. How do you do that? It's not just a hole, caves, it's ornateness. This was uh, uh, built out of the, the rocks. Um, now, this place has, and I, I looked it up in, in, in a lot of depth, it has apartments, it has latrines, it has cisterns for water, it has tombs to bury the dead, it has an amphitheater. And it has natural protection from tanks and aircraft. Now, even the United States with the bunker busters and all this stuff going into Afghanistan, it was very challenging because a lot of the terrorists were hiding in these mountainous areas and we didn't get them all, even with our advanced technology. So here's a situation where you can't... People could hunker down. They could go deep into these places and um, it'll make a minimal effect. As a matter of fact, some over the years, if you follow uh, patterns in migratory... Uh, battles and migratory patterns, as it started to get this incredible um, stability, those that were holed up in Petra would always win. The Romans try to, you know, and th there's a, a lot going, there's a lot of history here. Now it's pretty much a tourist site. But according to the scripture, this will be the place that hides the Jewish people when the Antichrist comes and, and, and harms them. Now, if you look at Jordan and you look at some of these countries, some of them are friendly to the, to the Israelites today. So it's a fascinating thing to look at. Continuing on, verse 5. It says, 
In mercy, the throne will be established, and one will sit on it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. So four out of seven is something to look forward to. After the last oppressive dynasty or kingdom or whatever you want to call it, as long as men and women are sinful, there's always going to be somebody who says, well, look at me, I'm rising the power, I've got planes, I've got tanks, I feel like flexing my muscles and taking over somebody. So if you're not completely sold on the Antichrist, I think common sense tells us that there will be more rising and falling of kingdoms. After going forth after 2018, look at the North Korea situation, look at the uh, Iran situation. So this is going to happen. The rising and falling. After the last oppressive kingdom or the Antichrist kingdom, Christ will come, destroy the Antichrist and his armies, and he will reign forever. And that's the good news. And that's what I love about the Bible is God's like, it's almost like he says, I got some bad news for you and I got some good news. And I know me personally, I love getting the bad news first. I love ending on a high note. Well, that's what he does in the scripture. He gives the bad news first. This is the worst possible outcome. In the future, this is the worst possible outcome However, when Christ comes back in his second coming, everything's going to be made better. No more kingdoms rising, no more wars. Um, they'll beat the swords into plowshares, right, and spears into pruning hooks. Great portion of scripture. Um, I know for me personally, I shared with you, I was a little transparent from the pulpit, saying that those of us in ministry, our lives aren't perfect. We struggle like you do. We have trials. We have things that, that irritate us and bother us. But... Here's my good news. When I read the scripture, the bottom line is this. No matter what's happening, no matter what's coming against me or my family or the church, I know that I'm saved. And I don't say that arrogantly. I know it because Christ promised it to me. I know it because, not because I'm good enough, because I'm the pastor, so I got saved. I got to say, before I was a pastor, I got saved when I was a mess. That's why I know it's going to be all right. Because there's the silver lining in everything when you read the scripture. So for those of you that don't know the Lord, the opportunity's coming, probably in about 10, 15 minutes from now. Uh, you can give your life to the Lord. Three people came up last Sunday. Um, it's an awesome thing. No matter how bad things get, you know God loves you. You know he sent his son to die for your sins. You know that the moment your heart stops beating, you can be ushered right into eternity. There's no holding places. There's no places of somebody praying you out. You go right to be with the Lord. The apostle says, and Jesus, the apostle Paul says, and also Jesus says. So I love it. Verse 6, we continue on. We have heard of the pride of Moab. He is very proud of his haughtiness and his pride and his wrath, but his lies shall not be so. Therefore, Moab shall wail for Moab. Everyone shall wail. For the foundations of Kir Hareseth you shall mourn. Surely they are stricken. For the fields of Heshbon languish, and the vine of Sibma. The lords of the nations have broken down its choice plants, which have reached to Jazer and wandered through the wilderness. Her branches are stretched out. They are gone over the sea. So five out of seven is the pride of Moab. You know, it's funny... Well, it's actually not funny. <laughs> and I'll use myself as an ex example too. Sometimes in our pride, we can cut our nose off to spite our face. Maybe that person that we didn't like that much and now they have a solution for us. And we don't take the solution because they've moved on, but we haven't. Pride's a funny thing. This was a nation that had from its top 
had a lot of pride. They were going to dig their heels in and say, we have vineyards, we have, we're good. We're good. We can hold these people off. And it was their doom. It was their undoing. Pride's a terrible thing. Even believers, even after we're saved, we still have pride, unfortunately, hopefully to a lesser degree. But pride, Proverbs 16, 18, goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Our culture is all about pride. You're a self-made person. You don't need anybody. You can stand alone. You don't need God. That's for weak people. That's a deception to throw us into destruction. I've seen it in my life many times. I've seen it in other lives. It's, it's a difficult thing, pride. So pride was the reason why they were in this situation and why many of them didn't get saved. Nine. Therefore, I will be well the vine of Sibna. I, Isaiah, God also speaking, with the weeping of Jazar, I will drench you with my tears, O Heshbon and Elelah, for battle cries have fallen over your summer fruits and your harvest. Gladness is taken away and joy from the plentiful field. In the vineyards there will be no singing, nor will there be shouting. No treaders will tread out wine in their presses. I have made their shouting cease. Therefore, my heart shall resound like a harp for Moab and my inner being for Kir Harris. And it shall come to pass when it is seen that Moab is weary on the high place or their pagan altars, that he will come to his sanctuary to pray, but he will not prevail. So six out of seven is the compassionate prophet, the compassionate side of the prophet. You've heard of Jeremiah being the weeping prophet. Well, here we find, Jer- we find Isaiah's tears, his wailing, his crying. Isaiah 15.5, my heart cries out. Verse 9, I will, in, um, in 16, I will drench you with my tears. Uh, 16.11, he has deep compassion. Jesus, in Matthew 23.37, knew about 40 years before the Roman War of A.D. 66 to A.D. 7, Jesus prophesied that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed because of her unbelief and her pride. And Jesus actually wept over the city. It's amazing, the mind of God. He knew everything that was going to happen in vivid detail. Jesus Christ. And he wept because he knew Jerusalem was going to reject her Messiah. She was going to sit in her pride She was going to trust in her walls. And you know what? The Romans were vicious. Four legions under Titus surrounded in all four sides, broke down the walls, and uh, it was a horrible, horrible time of suffering for the people. Very sad. But the prophets were immovable in their message of judgment. Yes, there was fire and brimstone, but fire and brimstone by itself is a problem. And again, why do people get turned off to God? Well, because I was in New York and there was this guy on a crate and he was saying, you're all going to hell, and he was really gleeful about it. Okay, well, he probably was doing it wrong. Because if you look at the prophets, if you look at Jeremiah, if you look at Isaiah, if you look at Jesus, they had a heart of compassion. They didn't want anybody to suffer any of these things. You see what I'm saying? God is a a God of justice. He must judge sin, but he's also a God of mercy. And those that don't provide the balance do God a disservice by preaching. That's my opinion. I got to come up here and say the hard things. But you know what? I love to tell you the sweet things because those are the things when I'm in my quiet time that I hold on to. Just me and God walking down the road by my house, very quiet, 
there's actually a little road by a stream, and I just, something about streams, you know what I'm saying? And I just walk along it, and I'm like, sometimes I'm like, Lord, and I, I complain, and I whine. Okay, I do that sometimes, not to you, but to him. And then I'm like, oh, Lord, I really need you to help me, you know. And this is my life, you know what I'm saying? So I go to him. He's my go-to person, and I love it. And he can be yours as well. But again, I'll give you another example. Jonah the prophet, right? Jonah had to preach to some really harsh people, the Assyrians, and he hated them. And God forced him to go. And he didn't learn his lesson at the end, and God humbled him. You know, he had to teach him a hard lesson because God wants his prophets to love people. But you know what it goes to show through Jonah? That he uses all kinds of people. You know what I'm saying? And that's the beauty for us. You don't have to be perfect to be on that list to be used. You know, here we fill out a ministry application. We love to use you and whatever. You know, when you fill that application out for the Lord, he'll find the place for you. And I love that about him. He'll find it. I don't know how to do anything. That's okay. Can you just be there? Can you talk to somebody? Can you, can you actually be there? If you, know, you don't want to talk, could you pray? God will find something for all of us to do. I love that about him. Luke, well, even in Luke 9, I'll just give you this last example, then we'll go through the last verse. Jesus' disciples, could you imagine, you're, you're hanging out with Jesus, he's raising the dead, he's casting out demons. That had to be really cool to watch. You know what I'm saying? The guy's like maddening, and then the demon goes out, and he's oh. He's like a different person, and he's eating, and he's drinking, and he's being nice. So, but the Samaritans, at one point, some of the Samaritans rejected the Lord's message. So I think it was James and John in Luke chapter 9 said to Jesus, shall we call down fire from heaven and consume them like Elijah did? Well, Elijah actually didn't consume well, But so Jesus said, you don't understand what type of, what manner of men you are. You know, this, and he tried to teach them to love people. So, I mean, that's, that's it. You know, if you've, again, been to any place or heard any preaching that sounds, makes God sound like a mean God, you're either, it's, it's either skewed, it's wrong, or someone doesn't have the right heart for doing it. So there's good and there's bad in people. Verse 12, last verse, or 12, 13, and 14. Well, let's go back to 12. This is why I need my glasses. <laughs> it says, And it shall come to pass when it is seen that Moab is weary on the high place, that he will come to his sanctuary to pray, but he will not prevail. Again, the Moabites were calling out to their false gods who couldn't help. If we could put up Psalm 135, Psalm 135, starting with 15, this is amazing. God says, and, and people would do this, they would take their little stones or their little piece of wood, and they'd sit there all day long and carve a little God. They'd make a little face and some ears and a mouth. They'd make it look like them. And then they'd put it up and they'd pray to it. That's weird. You're making your own God. But people do it today. It's no different. So he says in this verse, in these verses, he says, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Ears they have, but they or eyes they have, but they don't see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Today in America, we live in a pluralistic culture. Now, before you think, oh, Pastor Joe, so you, you want us to go to a theocracy? No. Nope. Salem witch trials? I'd, if, if they let me, I'd go hang out in the coven and talk to the ladies about Jesus. 
You know what I'm saying? The whole burning of the stake. Just, again, a twisted view of who God is. You know, some of these religious wars, supposedly in the name of Jesus, I understand if you're defending your land, but aggressive and oppressive wars, or because somebody doesn't believe what you believe, kill them, burn them at the stake. Quite frankly, that's sick. That's not anything that Jesus ever um, wanted anybody to do. But today, we live in a pluralistic culture, and I like to talk to people. So I don't want them to be hurt. I don't want them you know, to lose money. I, I just want to kind of convince them that there is a God, and he's knowable. That's the way I operate. However, our culture says any way to God, but that doesn't work. And I, I, I don't want to go into, for those of you that were here Wednesday, I talked about engineering, building a building. One engineer comes in and he goes, uh, yeah, I know that calculus says this and tensile strength of the steel and the concrete. He goes, I'm just going to build it this way with flowers and you know, cushions. And Okay, who wants to go into that building on the 10th floor? Nobody. Plain, you know, Bernoulli's principle, the wing, you know, the, air, the, the wind over the, the air over the airfoil, it provides lift. And Well, the landing gear, well, let's fudge on the landing gear. Let's make the landing gear out of plastic. Who wants to fly in that plane when it lands? But we do the same thing, but we do that very thing with spiritual things. Well, this way or that way, or there's thousands of ways to get to God. Is God divided in his mind where he can't figure out one good way for everybody to get in? So why do we do that? A backpack. Well, I don't like the way the backpack looks. It's ugly. It's too bulky. There's too much hard materials. I want to make a chic backpack. I want to make it soft. I want to make it smaller. And are you going to jump out of the plane with that backpack on you? I don't think so. But it's done with spiritual things. That doesn't make any sense. So in the sciences, we say, well, this, these formulas have to be right for safety. But in spiritual things, people are like, well, I'll just make up my own religion today. There is a truth out there, and that truth is knowable. And that's what God was trying to say. But not everybody listened. Last two verses. 13. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning Moab since that time. But now the Lord has spoken, saying, Within three years, as the years of a hired man, even, he's even specific, the glory of Moab will be despised with all that great multitude, and the remnant will be very small and feeble. I'm warning you, three years down the road, this is what's going to happen. So seven out of seven is count down the judgment. Again, God is lovingly warning them. You have three years, folks. Plan. Plan wisely. So for the person who was even poor, that three years was a good amount of time for them to figure out, to take the trip, to figure out how they were going to do it, get their family together, bring whatever they had, um, change their ways, Right? What if God was telling us that today there's three years until a great catastrophe? Would we change our lives? I hope we would. Now, there was a movie, I think, I don't remember the other actor, but I didn't see the movie. I saw the trailer, Morgan Freeman. It was called The Bucket List. Like, you're going to die, so let's do all these crazy things. That's Hollywood, folks. Just like the retirement communities. You know, they get the buffest, strongest elderly people who were golfing and lifting weights and this is what you deserve you're retired you should have fun you should swim every day and play golf it's deception really i mean seriously if we're that close to death or our loved ones are what's important in life things that matter 
How about getting right with God? How about we all get to the same place together? I only got one kid, and I want him to be where we are in eternity. You see what I'm saying? So the things that matter, not what Hollywood tells us, not the bucket list, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, the, again, the, the, I, I'd be curious to know when they had that false uh, text that went out to the Hawaiians, uh, in eight minutes, a missile is going to hit Hawaii. I wonder what some of those people were thinking about what I'm going to do with those eight minutes. Obviously, it didn't happen. But what would we do? Christians, what would we do? To me, it would be important to tell as many people as possible. I mean, I can talk, as you can tell. I would just, all day long, I'd be do every day, blah, 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 blah. My wife would say, Joe, will you shut up? You know what I'm saying? I would just keep going. Do you know Jesus? Blah, 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 blah. You know, I'd be like all over the place. I'd be manic, you know, but to me, that's what matters. Verse 14, even in the worst cases, there was always a remnant. That's the beauty. There was always somebody in Moab or whatever situation it was that got to start over. God in his love and knowledge of future events often gave ample warnings of disaster and spiritual repentance, more importantly. We talked about the Moabites. We talked about the Ammonites. We talked about the Edomites. But what about the New Jerseyites? <laughs> I, I made a comment last Sunday about how hard, how I've noticed. I know people that preach in the Midwest and other areas that in the Northeast, a lot of people have very hard hearts. We're, we're very calloused. We're very guarded. You know what I'm saying? And you know what's amazing? At the end of service, three people came forward here to receive Jesus. The word is getting through. And that's what we should be all about. The sermon title is Getting Right with God. How does that play out? Well, it plays out in two directions. Number one, the giver. In this case, it was the prophet Isaiah or the Christian today. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we have the, the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? God, through his Holy Spirit, through his word, tells every Christian, you have the ability. This is an amazing power that we wield as believers. You have the ability to bring the unsaved world to meet God and bring them together and let, let God do the rest of it and get them saved. The ministry of reconciliation. Because sinners are not reconciled to God. God provided the way, but he's not going to drag us to the cross. It has to be by an act of free will after we're being drawn. Getting right with God. Similar to the prophet Isaiah, unfortunately, sometimes we have to warn about sin and lifestyles and things of that nature. But do we love them? Do we love them with our actions and not just our words? And that's what I love about exposing these verses where Isaiah is weeping, he's caring, he's, you know, God is saying it and Isaiah is echoing it. I, uh, Jeremiah was weeping. Jesus was weeping over the lost, right? Over impending doom. Will you listen? Will you just listen to God? What about the receiver? Well, to not be like the majority of the Moabites, to look inside, to look in the mirror and see that we have a deficit, that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, to follow the Lord's instructions, right? To a person who does not yet have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to consider that, to consider getting right with God. Let's pray.